Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Goodness, goodness, there is joy in this house. Good morning, Project Church. You all look lovely and man. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I believe that the joy of the Lord truly is present and allow that joy to carry you through this message and as you go from this place. But I'm so excited to be inviting a couple gals who are gonna help me preach. They're gonna help a preach a preach, right? And so here to my right, we've got Haley uh, Vang, newly Vang, used to be another last name, but just, hey, this is her <laughs> A newlywed, she's been coming to Project Church for five years. And I remember when she came here, the first time I saw her, my first impression of her was a passionate lover of Jesus. And she was a worship leader, not because she was on stage singing. It's okay that we can't all sing, right? <laughs> but I knew she was a worship leader because of the way she led sitting there in the second row. Heart raised, you could just feel her heart lifted to heaven, passionate, just loving Jesus, not focusing on anything but him. And you see that in her life, how she has said, yes to Jesus and passionately followed him by um, answering the call to do full-time ministry to college campuses. So her and her husband have been serving in Chi Alpha Missionary Ministries, and she's one of our um, global partners or missionaries that you give to every month. So thank you, church. Um, she is here, and I know she's grateful for all that you've given and sown into her, but I'm so grateful that she gets to teach with me today. And over to my left, I have Miss Alex Eliza, who I also, I got to meet her about five years ago, and when she came here, she was invited by a cousin. She was coming from a place that um, was a hard place, a broken place, and she heard the message, and she gave her life to the Lord that day and has not turned back since. And so I've seen her just be steadfast. She's a very intelligent woman of God, and when you uh, attach intelligence with humility, there's something that changes in the room, and it doesn't just change her, it changes the people around her. So we're grateful for her impact and her being the spiritual formation pastor of our church, which is essentially just discipleship. And so I'm um, excited for them to join us. But before we move forward, I just want to invite you again to Wednesday. Summer study starts for six weeks. We're studying the word and seeing how that attaches to the mission that God has for our lives. So make sure you come back for six weeks. We love the word. The Bible truly is our guide, which is why next Sunday we're going to be starting a new series, Genesis, where we understand his providence, his power, and our purpose. Make sure you come back for that. We're gonna go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, all through Genesis. Just kidding. That would be a lot, okay? <laughs> 14 messages, 16 messages actually. So it's gonna be a good time because again, the Bible is our guide. Jesus is our message. So if you take any way, anything away from this message from these three ladies, myself included, um, listen, it's about Jesus. Jesus is our message. So we have to understand who he is and who God is. And that's what we are diving into today. Worst sermon ever, the title, please do not amen to this, but God will never give you more than you can handle. False, false. This is 
actually a theology that many of us may have used at one point in our lives. I know I'm listening to a friend going through a really hard time, tears running down her face, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going through so much, and you almost have nothing else to say, but in your own strength, you offer up the phrase, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. And then I have to step back and repent first because, Lord, that's not true. That's not true of who he is. But he, in fact, does allow more than we can handle. You ready to get hopeful, okay? It gets, it gets hopeful after this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I think a lot of people develop this theology because of this scripture. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So you're like, yeah, yeah, see, he's not gonna give us more than we can handle. However, it continues, and we have to read the whole verse. When we're reading the Bible, we have to read the whole um, verse and understand the whole context. It continues, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. And then it carries on to say that you may be able to endure it. So if he's asking us to endure endure it, why wouldn't he give us more than we can handle? And not only does he ask us to endure it, but he doesn't ask us to endure it alone. He says he will provide the way of escape. And here's the thing, this is just about temptations. It's not even mentioning trials, tribulations, and hardships, which yes, temptations are, but some things are just hard in this life. So we are developing and correcting the theology that God doesn't give you more than you can handle because he does in fact allow for more things than you can handle in your life. Theology, let's go back to understanding what that word is because we're gonna be using it a lot today because I know you've probably been coming here every week like, yeah, they're correcting our theology. And you're like, what does theology mean? (laughs) Right? You're like, just what smart people say who go to Bible college, right? Um, I just told you, I just claim to be smart. Anyways, um, But this is what theology is. The definition is the study of the nature of God and religious belief. So essentially, theology is the study of scripture because it says in 1 John that God is the word. The word is God. So the word of God, scripture is God. So theology comes from combining combining the two Greek words of theos, which means God, and logos, which means God. Uh, the meaning of a word or a rational thought. So theology is a God thought. Whenever we have these statements, God will give you more than you can, won't ever give you more than you can handle. We start developing an understanding of who he is. But a lot of times we're not using scripture to develop that thought any further. We start using our opinions and experience and that's how we get these inerrant theologies. So it's our human effort to understand God of the scriptures. But if we have this problematic statement that's coming from scripture and it's the way people interpret 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we need to correct that theology with more scripture. Do you hear me? So we're gonna look further into the second Corinthians. So that was from first Corinthians, but now second Corinthians, God will prove himself and give you the truth through his own word. So in second Corinthians 12, seven through 10, Paul, again, he's the um, apostle who wrote two thirds of our New Testament. And he's gonna 
really debunk this, this erroneous thought that God won't give you more than you can handle. So 2 Corinthians 12, 7, 10 is where we're gonna camp. And I'm actually gonna have these girls do the hard part, okay? I'm just gonna read the scripture and they'll teach you, all right? Here we go. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, this is Paul. He says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn a hardship, something that we can't handle, was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should just leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So this question, does God ever give us more than we can handle? We need to develop a theology to answer this question. And short answer, very short answer, yes, he does give us more than we can handle. And if we're going to continue to develop our theology, then I believe that we have to ask more questions of the scriptures. Ask more questions. And when we ask more questions, we'll arrive to a new understanding of who God is. So this leads us to the next question. Why is this statement about God so misleading? And Alex is going to help us with that. So good. I love that we are in a place where we're developing theology. We're not just a church that's saying, here's our theology, now go believe it. But we're a teaching church, right? We're saying, this is how we're going to ask questions about the incorrect theologies that we are seeing here. And so again, our question today for that I'm gonna answer is, why is our understanding of God misleading when we say that God will get, never give you more than you can handle? And we'll go through a couple of those reasons today. And the first one is that it, it encourages self-reliance. Clearly, this is problematic. Yeah. And a theology that convinces us that God, would never get, that God would never give us more than we can handle is a theology that strips us of our need for God. If God never gave us more than we could handle, then we would turn into a self-reliant people, drifting further and further away from our dependence on God. Yeah. And really any theology that pulls us away from our dependence on God is misleading. And I want you to have that understanding when we unpack this theology and really any theology that you're looking to have an understanding of. If it leads you away from your dependence on God, it is problematic and it is misleading. And so I'm so glad that we've gone through this entire sermon series where we've discussed whether or not God wants us to be rich or poor, or if God just wants me to be happy. Now we know that God wants us to be holy, right? And if you were here when Pastor Sam spoke, then you know, you know that all roads don't lead to heaven. Right. The incorrect theology that we were looking at was that all roads do lead to heaven, but we know that is not the case. And I really do think that Sam's message teased this one up pretty well, especially as we speak to self-reliance. Because when we are influenced by a theology that strips us of our need for God, we can quickly become a self-reliant people that try to earn our way into heaven and yeah. try to earn yeah. our way into being reconciled with the Father. Yeah. Yeah. Can I remind us of what scripture says? 
Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is not our self-reliance that reconciles us to the Father. It is not our self-reliance that purifies our sins. It is only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so what does self-reliance lead to? Well, one, and we can see this in the text, it leads to conceit. If we go back to the text in verse seven, Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. And so we can see here, Paul is growing in conceit because of the passing revelations that he receives. I would even say that maybe that conceit is because of he's growing in self-reliance, that he has all of this knowledge and he's doing a great work in the ministry and he's like, oh, you know what, I can do this. And then that self-reliance grows into conceit, which is why Paul was given the thorn in the the flesh. But dependence on God leads to a few things that we see here in the text as well. One is contentment, one is confidence, and one is a redemptive suffering. So again, if we see, if we look back to the text, verse 10, Paul says, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Again, dependence on God leads to contentment in these ways. He goes on to say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We see a confidence in Paul now, don't we? But this confidence is not in his own strength. It is not rooted out of his self-reliance. This confidence only comes from the power of Christ. And the strength that he sees is not his strength, it is Christ's strength. And we also see redemptive suffering. It's clear that this thorn in the flesh is causing Paul great suffering, great pain, tribulation. But I wanna let you know that this suffering is not in vain. There is a redemptive suffering here. And we can see this because of his contentment in his weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. And we can see this because of his confidence in Christ's strength. There is a redemptive suffering here. And I wanna ask us today, because I know that there are some people in this room that are suffering. Mm -hmm. What are you suffering from? Can I encourage you that there is a redeeming quality to that? When you give your life to Christ, your suffering is not in vain. We may not know why, we may not know how we can get through this, but when we are in Christ, he is our redeeming sacrifice. So why is the understanding of why is the understanding of God misleading when people say God will never give you more than you can handle? One, it's because it leads to self-reliance. And the second, can I be honest, it doesn't align with God's character. Right. While the text doesn't name the giver of the thorn in the flesh, and we see that the thorn is associated with Satan, most theologians would actually say that God is the one that gave Paul the thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Like I had mentioned before, this thorn causes great suffering and great pain to Paul. And if I was in Paul's shoes, I would probably say, this is because, this is a result of the enemy. This is an attack of the enemy over my life. But can I let you know that the reason why Paul was given this thorn in the flesh was to assist him? Yeah. Why would the enemy want to give him something that would assist him? I think sometimes we give the enemy way too much credit. Come on. So what is your thorn in the flesh? Maybe it's singleness. 
And I know that there are some singles in this room. Maybe you're dating and you're like, Jesus, in your prayer room, Jesus, I have been seeing this person for like two weeks and they haven't mentioned marriage yet. This, this is an attack of the enemy. But hey, singles, I feel you, I'm there with you. We'll, we'll make it through together. Maybe it's a physical ailment or a disease. You're saying this is an attack of the enemy. Maybe it's loss. And the grief that you're experiencing is more than you can handle. And you say, this is an attack of the enemy. Maybe it's someone in your life, a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, and they just push all the wrong buttons. And you're like, this, this is an attack of the enemy. Honestly, they may be here with you right now. So (laughs) I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Maybe it's a current circumstance that you're going through. You're not where you are. You're not where you want to be in your career. Finances aren't where you want them to be either. You say, this, this is an attack of the enemy. I remember before I started really walking in what I felt that God was calling me to, I went through this season where it was barren, where I really wasn't serving God in the ways that I knew he had called me to. And I was wondering why God, why is this season so barren? Why do do I not have opportunities? And then during that time, peppered throughout, my family experienced a lot of loss. And I said, this is an attack of the enemy. But I look back during that time and I would go to people and ask for prayer. I would seek the Lord's face and for his guidance. Can I tell you, as I look back, I don't think it's an attack, it was an attack of the enemy because that thorn in the flesh, that trial or that tribulation, it benefited me because yeah. I pursued the heart of the Father. Yeah. And so who are you giving credit to? If the result of the thorn in the flesh is contentment with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, and strength when we are weak, then the enemy has nothing to benefit from it. And I'm not gonna say that we are never attacked by the enemy or that there's not spiritual warfare, but I think sometimes we just give the enemy too much credit. And I think that the Lord is doing something in our lives when we do have a thorn in our flesh that just like Paul is meant to benefit us. That's good. And so we need to stop giving enemy credit for what God is doing. It's God alone who works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And so what is revealed about God's character? We see God's grace we see God's redemption. When we look at this story where Paul has a thorn in his flesh and he pleads with the Lord three times for it to be taken away, I also see a common story, a a similar story in the gospels with Jesus. Right before Jesus is led to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he is pleading with the father to take this cup away from him. But what is the response? The cup and the thorn is not taken away. And to Paul, it said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So with Jesus, the cup is not taken away, but this cup, it leads to his death, it leads to his resurrection, it leads to the forgiveness of our sins and our reconciliation to the Father. And so for Paul, as he lays in obedience And he is fully, he finds his sufficiency in the Lord, not in his self-reliance. 
With God's grace, Paul receives a fruitful ministry. We see this in Acts. And most of the scripture that we read in the New Testament, like Chrissy said, is written by Paul, inspired by God. So with your thorn in the flesh, don't see this as an opportunity to be self-sufficient or self-reliant. Be fully dependent on God, and I wonder what will happen from that. What is the product? Maybe it's your breakthrough. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe the Lord is confirming your calling. Come on. But just like we see with Jesus and Paul, God's grace is sufficient for us, for his power is made perfect in our weakness. I wanna remind us that the grace Paul receives in this text is the same grace that we receive. It is continually sufficient. It is continually available. It's a grace that transforms and it's a grace that redeems. This is what we need to understand. Our redemptive suffering is only made possible by Christ's redemptive sacrifice. And so the theology that God will never give you more than you can handle encourages self-reliance and it does not align with God's word, with God's character. That's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to mislead us. This is why that theology is misleading and problematic. But we know that when God does give us more than we can handle, we become dependent on him and in the more than we can handle, whatever it may be, we can find his grace and we will, we will find his grace in redemption. Mm-hmm. And so we're gonna go on to really unpack what God is doing here, how we see his character in this story and how, how Paul responds to this thorn in the flesh. Thank you, Alex. So now that Alex shared with us the importance of having a correct understanding of who God is, we're going to look at the question of who is God if he allows us more than we can handle and how are we to respond? The fact is, is that God's character is unchanging. But what matters through our changing circumstances is who we believe that God is and how we decide to respond. That's right. Do you only believe that God is good and faithful when you feel as though he's blessed you? Or do you also trust that God is good and faithful when you're going through hard or trying times? Alex explained that God's grace is sufficient and that we receive the same grace that Paul received. And so we're going to take um, a deeper look into the same scripture to see God's nature and what we can learn from how Paul responds. So in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what I want to point out to you guys here is the fact that Paul asked God for help. And God responds. 
Paul asks God three times to remove the thorn from his flesh and God responds by saying, my grace is sufficient for you. So first of all, in order for us to recognize God's sufficiency, we first need to realize our insufficiency. Paul realized that he couldn't handle the thorn in his flesh on his own. He needed God to intervene, so he asked God for help. The thing is, is sometimes when we ask God for help and he doesn't respond in the way we thought he would or the way we phrase the question hoping he's gonna answer this way, we think, wow, God didn't hear me or maybe God doesn't even care. But the thing is, in this scripture, we can see that God didn't take the thorn away like Paul asked, but we see God's goodness and how personal, loving, and attentive he is to Paul because when Paul asked him for help, God responded, God answers Paul, and God is near to Paul, and he provides the strength and grace that Paul needs to get through the trial that he was going through. Similarly, God wants us to ask him for help. He wants to be near to us. And when we're going through something hard and we ask him for help, in his wisdom, he wants to give us what we need. That's right. When God allows us to go through more than we can handle, he is sufficient. The definition of sufficient in the Webster Dictionary is enough to meet the needs of a situation. So what this means is when we say God's grace is sufficient, It means that God's grace is enough to meet the needs of every circumstance that we find ourselves in. In our American culture, success can often be seen as independence. I know this in the example of being a young adult, often it's seen as success when you're able to be free of your parents' care and you're able to provide for yourself and be independent. I know that in my own life, when I was in college, I would often go to school, go to work, volunteer, do all these things. And I'd be like, God, I'm overwhelmed, I'm exhausted. And God would be like, yeah, you're doing it by yourself. You're supposed to be relying on me. And he would bring me back. And I've even seen this even more recently, just getting married. Um, My husband and I got back from our honeymoon. And if you don't know, we're in a lot of life transitions right now, one of them being getting married, another just being having new ministry assignments, getting ready to move in the near future. And there were just a lot of moving pieces in my life. And this one morning I was spending time with God, sure was asleep, and I was like, God, I can't handle this. Why did you have to do this this way? Because I don't feel like I got this. I wanna feel good. Like I want to feel like I'm succeeding in something. And God reminded me, Haley, that's where I want you to be, crying out to me, saying, I don't got this God and I need you. And in fact, he took me to this exact scripture that we're talking about. And he was like, I want to be sufficient for you. And when you're weak, that's when I'm strong. So what I continue to learn throughout my life and probably will continue to learn is that God desires our complete dependence on him. When we feel as though we're strong enough and we can handle life on our own, it creates pride and self-reliance, as Alex said earlier. However, God desires for us to recognize our need for him, that we would be empty before him so that he could be our strength and that we would see his sufficiency and power at work in our lives. As Paul says, he would boast all the more gladly about his weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon him. 
So when we present ourselves to God as empty, as needy, as weak, we're able to witness God's power at work in our lives. It's often in our lowest places that we cry, cry out to God and we really witness his power and his sufficiency. And it's in those moments that God's glorified through us because yeah. we're not the ones carrying ourselves. We're like, no, I couldn't do that, God. You're right, you did all of that and he gets the glory. In verse 10, Paul says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we truly believe God's character, that he's personal, that he cares for us, that he loves us, and the fact that we are insufficient without him, it's then that just like Paul, we can be content in our weaknesses and hardships because it's no longer us that we're relying on, but we're relying on God's strength and his power. And God wants us to seek him so that we would see the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Luke 11, 9 to 13, 13, it says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more would our heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When we look at ourselves without God, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we're just broken humans. But with God, we're redeemed, filled with his spirit, and we don't pull our strength and hope from ourselves. But as we seek God, we're filled with his strength and hope through the power of his Holy Spirit living inside of us. So through times of going through more than we can handle, God wants us to draw near to him. He wants to be near to us. And it's while dealing with those thorns in our flesh that we learn this valuable lesson that is to apply to our entire life, whether we're going through hard times or good times, that we would fully depend on and glorify God. In all seasons, he desires to be with us he desires for us to rely on him and he wants to be sufficient for us whether we're going through something easy or we're going through something hard. When God allows us to go through more than we can handle, he is sufficient and we are to respond by fully depending on him and glorifying him. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give it up. That's so good. That's so good to be able to have the safety in the presence of God to ask these questions. Why is some of the things that I spout out to people in prayer wrong sometimes? It's safe to ask him that question. Is it, is it even God who, is, who gives us more than we can handle? God is okay with you asking those questions about him. Who is God if he allows more than we can handle? Like asking who he is, he's okay by that in the hardship that you're experiencing. But I do think he is interested on 
how we're going to respond. And you might be thinking, okay, great. It's good to ask me these questions. It's great. He's sufficient. He's good. They're telling me about his nature and it's inevitable. I'm going to encounter hard things more than I can handle. And you're like, but still that does not satisfy the one question I still have. And some of you guys might have been thinking it while we were talking. And some of you may still not be satisfied in this moment because the question that you're still asking is, but why? Seriously, why, Lord? Why do you have to give me more than you can handle? Why more than I can handle? Why did that situation have to go down that way? Why is that still not taken care of? Why do I have to be hurting this bad? Why, why, why? And truth be told, we probably wish that God wouldn't give us more than we can handle because we fall into one of two categories. Number one, I think some of us want to handle our own problems. Some of us want to know what to expect. It feels safer because we have not understood the safety of his presence yet. We don't understand the safety of asking him the hard questions and understanding and trusting that he's gonna love us in the process. Sometimes we want to just handle our own stuff. We don't wanna invite anybody else into it. Or sometimes life, we just want it to be fair. The things that we're experiencing, God, it is just not fair. Whenever I hear my kids say that, it's not fair, it's not fair. Yeah, I know, life isn't fair. I have to tell them that. I don't want to be the parent that hides that things are going to get easier and God's not going to give you more than than you can handle. I am going to give you more chores than you want to handle or think you can handle, son, you know? Life is not fair. But again, in our own human nature, we want to take control and we want to make things fair. We want to be the one who makes things just, but unfortunately, God is the only one who is just. We want to take things in in our own strength. We want the ball back in our court and God's saying, that's not gonna work. Not because he thinks lowly of you, but because he thinks highly of himself and he knows that he is the only solution to your problem. It's because he loves you so much. And can I tell you, we perpetuate our problems when we try to make things fair in a fallen world. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we are a problem. Because we sin and the people around us sin and that sin hits that sin and that sin and it perpetuates and it's just a downward spiral. It says in Romans, since sin entered this world, the world has been groaning. It's being destroyed and it's decaying as time goes on and our sin doesn't help. So we need a savior. The point of this message was not, no, ask more questions. It's great. Journey with Jesus on it. No, it's to depend on him. He is the only solution to the problem that we can't handle more than is given to us. For church, I think that it's time we start minimizing our God with our finite questions and trying to take things up in our own strength and maximizing our perspective of who he is. He is 10,000 feet. He is like all the way in heaven and he can see the whole picture. And he's saying, child, son, daughter, you cannot handle it. Just let me be your sufficiency 
for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It is momentary and that's not to minimize your problem. It's to maximize your perspective of who God is and what he's doing for all of eternity. Not what he's just doing in your life, in your family's life, but the generation after you and the generation after you and the believers after you and the disciples after you and the people who do not know God now, but need to know God later. So it's dependent on how you trust him now. You know, keep asking questions, but I think we need to land on the right question. The psalmist showed us the question to land on. Psalm 121.1, where does my help come from? You can ask who, what, where, when, why, but the most important question in this day, when we're saying there's too much to handle, because listen to me, it is too much to handle, but where does my help come from? Psalm 121.2, it helps us by giving us the answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My problems are finite, but he is infinite in wisdom and power and sufficiency and provision. And some of us are saying, I need you. I need you. I need you maybe for the first time. And that's exactly where we need to be. So would you bow your heads in this place? I know after a message like this, you're asking God for help. You're asking God for answers. You're saying why, how, when, but today we're gonna land on where does my help come from? And we're gonna answer that question that he has already revealed to us because not all things are gonna be revealed, but this is revealed here and right now that God is all we need, not to minimize our problems, but to go to him with our problems, to unload our problems on the one who can actually carry it. So God, in this room, we finally surrender. We surrender and say that our help comes from you. But there's people in this room, if you were listening to this message and you're asking God what the next step is, I believe he's saying it's a relationship with me. I am your sufficiency. I am all you need. I'm going to give you the strategies. I'm going to give you the timelines. I'm going to show you the agenda you have to have. I'm going to show you I will be your provision. I will be your provider. I will give you all that you need. And he wants to fill you with that hope today. But it's going to take faith. It's going to take faith. So I'm inviting you right now. If you walked away from your faith maybe years ago and you're coming back for the first time, he's saying, I welcome your questions. Keep asking me questions, but understand where does your help come from? It comes from me and I'm ready to welcome you back. So if that's you in this place and you want to, you may have left the faith, but now you want to invite Jesus back into your life and you want to jump back on this journey of faith. If that's in you in this room, I want to pray for you. Everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed and If that's you in this room, I'm going to count to three. I want you to lift your hand because I'm going to pray for you. So if you want to give your life back to him, maybe since you were a child and you're here today, that tugging in your heart, that inclination to raise your hand or even a cry, that's Holy Spirit saying, you know where your help comes from. 
just take that step of faith. If that's you, or you want to give your life to the Lord for the first time, you want to say, you're the savior of my soul. You want to say, I want to walk this journey with you. I'm going to ask all the questions, not in defiance and not in ignorance, not in rebellion, but because I want to know who you are. If that's you, you want to invite him back into your life. Would you lift your hand on the count of three? You walked away from him or you want to give him your life for the first time. Raise your hand in one, two, three. Go ahead and lift your hands all across this room. Come on, give it to him. I see that hand. I see that hand back there. I see that hand. I see those hands all throughout the section. I see all those hands on the right. Come on, anybody else? It's safe here. It's safe to ask questions. It's safe to receive him. It's safe to accept him. Come on, anybody else in this room? Amen, amen. So many hands. Would you repeat after me, church? All together in this community of believers where faith is full. There's some fear for those who are praying, but would you repeat after me with faith? Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I accept you into my life. I believe that you love me. You died for me and you rose again so that I might have life and life abundantly. I confess my need of you. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've walked away from you. I'm sorry for all my sins. Forgive me and give me the strength to live for you today every day thereafter. I love you, Jesus. I celebrate you today. I love you. I love you. Amen and amen. Amen. Come on, kids, give us shout of praise. Let's stand to our feet. Many people gave their life to the Lord. We worship you, God. We say thank you. Come on, stand to your feet. And here's the thing. We can say, where does my help come from? It comes from him. But our response is gratitude and that's exactly what worship is so let's worship him and as we worship him the prayer partners are going to make their way to the front some important decisions were made here if you raise your hand i invite you to come up here before you go out there but come on let's solidify all that was said and done today by singing gratitude and worship hey thanks so much for tuning in to the project church podcast we pray and hope that this message encouraged you built you up and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.